0: Faithfulness. Praise the Lord, my God. What a faithful God we serve. He is so good. It is so good to be uh, preaching once more. I thank him. I owe him everything. He is an awesome God. I pray that you will be blessed this morning from the word of God. Now, if you will, will you please open your copy of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 2. We will be covering the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2 on this Lord's Day. Now, when we last visited Matthew's gospel, we left off in chapter 1. And we were looking at verses 18 through 25. And there we read that when Mary was found to be with child by Joseph, Joseph was a little more than a little taken aback, I should say, And being a just man, he wanted to put her away, but he wanted to do it privately as not to bring her any shame. But in a dream, the angel told Joseph, the child in her womb is of the Holy Spirit. So do not put her away. But this child will be special. Some people will see him as God with us. That's why they will call him Emmanuel. But you will call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So do not engage in any romantic um, activity. That's the part that you didn't read about. But we can uh, look at it and see that that's how the angel would have him to uh, go forward. And do marry Mary. Do marry her. Do not put her away. Now we pick it up in chapter 2. And I have titled this sermon, Wise Men Still Seek Him. Wise Men Still Seek Him. Not to suggest that one's reason for seeking Jesus is because somehow they're wiser than their fellow man. It's not the wisdom of man. It is the wisdom of God and the grace of God. For the scriptures clearly teach that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of our own Doing, it is all a gift from God, which means that wisdom, uh, the wisdom that causes men to seek God doesn't depend upon human wisdom, but upon God's grace and his grace alone. Thus, those who receive uh, the word, which is also a part of God's doing, are the ones who are made wise. And now they have a strong desire to seek him. With a, with, with a passion, not, a, not, a, not a, an apathy or a laziness, but with a passion that lasts their whole life long. So I will be reading the first 12 verses of uh, Matthew 2, but before I do, I need to pray once more. Father, as we come before you today, we ask you to speak through us. Speak the word through me. May we be encouraged and built up by what you have to say To your people. May I not get in the way of that? But please speak through me this morning, Lord, that I may communicate your word clearly and accurately. Matthew chapter 2, please follow along. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Now as we move into chapter 2, we notice right away that at least nine months have passed by because Jesus is now born, as we read in verse 1. It says says there, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We also notice chapter 2 introduces A few new characters. The first one is Herod the King, also known as Herod the Great. He was the first of several important rulers from the Herodian dynasty who are named in Scripture. Now, this Herod here, his reign began, his effective reign, I should say, began in 37 BC and ended with his death in 4 BC but the only reason he received such a high position in Judea because the is because the Jews were under the power of the Roman Senate and they believed it would be beneficial to them to place this man as king over Judea now Herod was a ruthless and cunning man he loved luxury and grand building projects and his greatest grandest project was the temple at Jerusalem? It was so great and grand that we uh, read in John chapter 2, verse 20, that it took 46 years to build this temple, which means he wasn't even alive to see the finished project. Now, at his death, he wanted to make sure that he would be able to continue his legacy. So the sons who he liked, he would make sure they had a position in the kingdom, and not only his kingdom, but it would spread a little further. Case in point, to succeed him as king over Judea, he appointed Archelaus, whom we see mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, while one of his other sons, Antipas, was appointed Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea, and we see that mentioned in Matthew chapter 14. Then there's his other son, Philip, who we read of in Luke chapter 3. He was made tetrarch of Trachonitis and the surrounding countries. And we can't forget his grandson, Agrippa, who we read of in Acts chapter 12. He's the one who had James, the brother of John, executed. The other characters, and this is good now, the other characters that Matthew introduces to us Uh, named the wise men. Literally, it's the word magi from where we get our word magician. Now, did you notice that the number of magi are not given? But in almost every Christian movie that shows the birth of Christ, there's three of them who are portrayed. Now, most likely, it stems from the number of gifts that they brought, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what a letdown it is to see that Hollywood is wrong about the Bible. Shocking. Now, although the Magi live chiefly in Persia and Arabia, they are not easily identified with precision. The term Magi loosely covered a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology, magic and books that were thought to contain mysterious references to the future. Now, some of them honestly inquired after the truth, but many were rogues and charlatans. You remember Simon in Acts chapter 8. He had serious issues and Bar-Jesus in Acts chapter 13, who not only had serious issues, but he was basically demonic and, and, and evil. But both of them were magi. But it appears that the wise men we read of here, they had built up their expectation of a king that was deserving of their worship by working through assorted Jewish literature, including chunks of the Old Testament text. Now, this is what prepared them to follow the star all the way to Bethlehem. And perhaps they came upon Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, uh, which says a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. But for certain, they read that text in the book of Micah. I'm just going to read a small portion for you. I'm going to read Matthew. I mean, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And there it says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. To sum it up, To them, this meant there would be oppression for a time. And then out of Bethlehem, though she's small and seemingly insignificant, there would come one to deliver them from this oppression. Then afterwards, his brothers would be elevated to a place of prominence and peace. And so they came. The wise men came looking for that deliverer when they saw his star. That's why the, when they arrived in Bethlehem, we read of them asking fervently, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we know they were reading fervently because Matthew starts verse two uh, by using uh, a present participle in the word saying. And, and, and by doing that, it conveys the continuous action of asking the question, where is he? Who is to be born king of the Jews or who has been born king of the Jews? Excuse me, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, this star could not have been a supernova or a constellation of planets because of the way it moved. It moved with intentionality. It moved like, 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 like it was being controlled by someone. And it was. It was being controlled by God as he controlled the pillar of fire and the pillar of, uh, 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 of clouds to lead the children through the wilderness. He was leading the wise men to where the Savior would be born. Now, what did they come to do? Why all the trouble to follow this star? They came to do more than pay their respects as the Jehovah's Witness demonic literature teaches. They came to worship this child named Jesus because they recognized him not only as one who was to be a ruler of Israel, but he came as the ruler Of Israel, and as one whose coming forth is from of old, even from ancient days, aka from eternity, aka from everlasting to everlasting, aka he is God incarnate. Now they were wise men who were seeking him in order to worship him, as wise men still seek him in order to worship him. So they followed his star once it rose. Now, as a young boy, my parents sent me to camp, and you'll see the relevance in a minute. When I was a young boy, my parents sent me to camp. Now, being from Fort Apache, the South Bronx, at eight years old, I couldn't understand why they would send me to such a torturous place. I hated it. I hated it. I don't understand to this day why people go camping. It was hot, I mean extremely hot, and being from where I came from, I never heard of air conditioning. Plus, they had mosquitoes the size of bats, and then at night, we would have these campfires, these campfires where, where, where we would take marshmallows and put them on these totally unsanitary sticks Put them in the fire and blow them, blow on them for 10 seconds and put them in our mouths, only to experience totally mind numbing pain. I, I, it, it boggles my mind why people still do this. On top of that, there would be embers, burning embers from this campfire that would seem to gravitate towards me and they would land on my arms, and I am burning here. My mouth is burning, my body is burning, and I, I, just, I just didn't see the fun we were supposed to have. So I would back away from this fire, and when I got far enough from the fire, I would look up, and the stars seemed so much closer and clearer than they did from the South Bronx, and I can only imagine What it was like for these wise men, as this special star, must have appeared closer and clearer than any other star. And once again, what did they come to do? They came to worship Jesus the Christ. And thinking of all the false religions that exist, the majority of them know that you must be deity, to be worshipped. So either they'll change the scriptures to make it say something like they came to do him obeisance, which is what you find in the New World Translation that the Jehovah's Cult uh, witnesses use uh, which only means to pay respect or they'll deny the scriptures outright by saying something like oh man wrote the Bible yet they'll use certain parts of the Bible that they agree with like Jesus is love because that makes sense to their natural mind but according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The supernatural or spiritual things of God must be understood by spirit-indwelt dwelt. Children of God. And as a result, men who are made wise by the Holy Spirit know his voice through his word. Another, they will not follow, so they follow him. They seek him, the one who came from everlasting and will go until everlasting in order to worship him. Now, verse 3 would be a little perplexing if we didn't have Luke's gospel account to give us a a fuller picture. Verse 3 here says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, we can understand Herod being troubled as he was aging and, and his kingdom was about to depart from him. It was ending, but he wasn't quite ready to leave. Plus, he had sons that he he was worried about. He wanted to have his legacy last forever through his sons. But why would the people be troubled? If we were to look at Luke's narrative surrounding Jesus' birth, we would see that all of the people weren't troubled because Luke tells us there were people like old Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then there was Anna, who did not depart from the temple, but worshipped with fasting and prayer night and day. And once Jesus was born, she began giving thanks to God, speaking to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So thanks to Luke's account, we see that all of the people weren't Troubled by the news from the wise men that the king of kings had arrived. Now, getting back to Herod, he heard the whispers of grumbling and complaining from the people. He knew of their unhappiness because of his lack of compassion and the heavy taxing in which he laid upon them. And in his last years, on top of all that, he was he was he was tormented by an illness that drove him to cruelty and fits of rage and jealousy causing him to kill close associates, causing him to put to death his favorite wife, Miriam, and his two sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. And now, to add to all of that, the magi come speaking of another king who's going to take my place and ruin my plan. So in a state of panic, he assembled the chief priests and the scribes together two groups who normally would not uh, uh, come together, of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? Now, the chief priests were probably the heads of the 24 courses into, into which the sons of Aaron were divided, according to 1 Chronicles 24, verse 4, and Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. And the scribes were the interpreters of the law and collectors of the traditions of the elders, But Herod acts as if he shared in their somewhat enthusiasm, uh, but in actuality, he had something else in mind. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, they answered without hesitation. The question where he would be born had been settled by prophecy, as we read in Micah chapter five, uh, especially verse two. And in that prophecy, both the place of his birth and his character are so clearly set forth that there was no room for doubt. However, there are a couple of differences that arise in Matthew's quotation of Micah 5 and verse 2. The one I want to focus on is his leaving out the last line, which says, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now that's huge. I looked at a few uh, commentaries to see why that would be left out, and I believe Ellicott's commentary for English readers hits the nail on the head. There he says, uh, Matthew is not quoting the prophecy of Micah himself, but recording it as it was quoted by the scribes. This in part explains the fact that he does not give either the version of the LXX, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, or a more accurate rendering of the Hebrew, but a free paraphrase. Meaning that this has nothing to do with Matthew being inaccurate or faulty because man wrote the Bible questioning the inspiration of scripture, but it is simply an incomplete quote from the chief priest and scribes as they told it to Herod. You can spend years speculating as to why they did not tell Herod the full uh, verse that this one who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, but I only have about 20 minutes left, so I, I'm, I'm moving on. But from what they did share, Herod had heard enough. He knew his reign was coming to an end. So according to verses 7 and 8, he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Here's where we see the the cunning and the devious mind of Herod. The reason he wanted to know what time the star had appeared was because he was trying to calculate the age of the child. And we find out later from their that from their answer, he was able to surmise that it must have been uh, two years or less. He was so desperate to save his kingdom that he even lied to, and told the wise men, I want to come and worship him too. Hey, don't forget about me, guys. Let me come and and, and pay homage to this king. But according to verse 16 of this same chapter, he had something else in mind, like slaughtering every Hebrew male child to and under. What a guy. What a guy. He was not just evil. He had that deep, down to the bone, evil. He could be in your face, vicious, or subtle, like the serpent, vicious, pretending to be interested in paying homage and worshiping the Lord of life when his real desire was to snuff out the Lord of life. He used that same subtle, uh, 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 subtleness uh, when it came to killing his own son, Aristobulus. According to Josephus, there was discord between him and his son, but he pretended to be reconciled to him just so he can invite him to a dinner party in Jericho. And once there, he contrived to have him drowned in a fish pond. Josephus writes, as if in play and sport, they dipped him so often and kept him so long underwater that he died in their hands. And then, as if his death had been an unfortunate accident, which had happened without any previous design, Herod pretended great sorrow for it, shed abundance of tears, and bestowed upon his body a very splendid and expensive funeral. That's deep evil right there. Praise God, the wise men were determined to complete their mission. Verse 9 says, After listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It seems as if the star that first appeared when they left their own country disappeared for a time and then reappeared after they left Jerusalem. Because according to verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They now knew what part of Bethlehem uh, the Savior was in. Since once they arrived in Bethlehem, the people directed them exactly to where the the house was because they knew of his birth. And how, how did they know? Remember the shepherds, the shepherds in the fields, who were informed by the angels that unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I want you to think about this for a moment. Everything we've read so far, we have this scenario, right? And, And we can see the writer, Matthew, he knew how astrology was condemned and is to this day condemned by God. So he contrasts how eager the Magi was to worship Jesus despite their limited knowledge of the scriptures. With the apathy of the Jewish leaders and the hostility of Herod's court, all of whom had the scriptures and had history to inform them See, Herod and the Jewish leaders were wise according to man's standard of wisdom, but it was foolishness to God. It was all by the grace of God that brought the Magi to the place where Jesus was. Upon reaching the house, the Magi saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, according to verse 11. Now, how did they worship him? Did they worship him with empty words? Empty hearts and empty hands? No, they presented before him things of great value. Gold, frankincense, which was a a high quality gum resin. It was more valuable than gold. It was so valuable that it made the Arabians one of the richest people on the face of the earth at that time. They also presented him with myrrh, which is also highly valued because it was used in perfumery, medicines, and incense. They offered Jesus gifts that cost them something. Now, why would they do that? I would say it's because of love. I I would say say that although they never met the Savior, they knew him. And some would question, well, how could they love someone that they never met? Well, this is the type of love that the Apostle Peter spoke of in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. There he says, though you have not known him, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. All true believers today, and way back when, love the Lord. They love the Savior, the redeemer. Love will uh, make you react in similar fashion to the wise men. So my question to you today is, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? That's my question for you today. You want to be like the merchant who was in search of fine pearls. And when he found one, he was in search of many, for many, but when he found one, he went and sold all that he had so that he may obtain it, take possession of it. That's love. In a Q&A uh, forum, the late R.C. Sproul was asked by one of the questioners, how can I know if I am truly saved? And R.C. Sproul answered with three questions of his own. He said, I normally ask question number one, do you love Jesus perfectly? And the question, of course, is no, because nobody loves him perfectly. And then he asked question number two, do you love the Lord Jesus as he should be loved? And if the question to number one was no, then the question to number two is also no, because you should love him perfectly. And then he asked question number three. Do you love the Lord Jesus at all? Now, the regenerate person, the, the, the born again person will answer yes, but he'll do it with a spirit of humility. Because he knows the only reason he loved the Lord is because the Lord Lord loved him first. And it is all by grace. But if an unregenerate person who is somewhat religious because they uh, come to church every once in a while and they pray every once in a while if the Unregenerate person would really examine their lives. How could he respond in the affirmative that, yes, he does love Jesus when so much of his time is spent enjoying the flesh? John the Apostle, among others, says, no, this can't be. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, John says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we uh, have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Then later on in chapter three, verse six, John writes, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Then there were those in uh, Corinth, the, the church at Corinth, who by their conduct must have had the Apostle Paul wondering whether they were really in the faith, whether they were really converted by their behavior, because because he told them to examine yourselves, which is a technical term. It means take a closer look. We would say look under the, the microscope to see what substance is there. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet The test, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Now, my question once more is, do you love Jesus and do you pass the test, beloved? What have you sacrificed or put to death in your flesh in order to walk in a manner worthy of salvation? The wise men sacrificed their time, their safety and their treasures. They had traveled a long way. Who knows how many precautions they had to take in order to get to this place where they could worship the king of kings and lord of lords. They opened their treasures and gave him things that cost great value. Here's, Here's the thing, beloved. I want you to get this. God doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. He wants you. Your stuff comes naturally out of the overflow of your love for him. But he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your all. True worship is not an external bowing down, but bowing down your heart, lifting up Christ, removing the garment of pride, putting on Christ's righteousness and continuously being willing to give up everything for that pearl of great price, for the pearl of great price. I say continuously because most of us start out with a great zeal for God and then somewhere along the way something happens. You remember, you remember those early years when, when you were willing to risk your friendships, your popularity, and even your life to travel to the ends of the world to tell everyone you met about Jesus. What happened? After you got a little older in the faith, some of you, after you uh, became a seasoned vet and have gained some possessions, even precious children, you became hesitant. No longer uh, ready and willing to give up everything for our great God and Savior. But it seems like our ded- dedication to Christ would have the opposite effect That the more we mature in Christ, the more we would be willing to sacrifice for his glory, considering how evil we are and how merciful he is. How selfish we are and how much he throws his love upon us. I know personally, I test the patience of God on a regular basis. When you think of the old King James word for patience, long-suffering, it brings out what it's like to have to watch over someone like me without striking him with lightning. Every day I transgress the law of God. And still he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age bringing home the reality of that old hymn, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. No one can heal our soul's diseases. No, not one. There is nobody like him. That is why whatever it would cost, Or however long it would take, these wise men had to seek out the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all who believes. And that is also why this precious, fully human, little Lamb of God had to be kept alive until the appointed time. So verse 12 informs us that God warned the wise men in a dream not to return to Herod. God is always in Control. They obeyed and departed to their own country by another way. Praise God for His mighty providence, His sovereignty, His power over the nations. If you belong to the Lord, beloved, He did all of this for you. From the miraculous conception to rerouting the wise man's trip home to the death. Burial and resurrection of his beloved son. It was all for you. I pray you will never neglect so great a salvation. But if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity separated from God in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, among other places. A fish doesn't know it's wet until he's taken out of water. Likewise, a sinner doesn't know he's totally consumed by sin. Not that he makes a mistake every now and then. Not that he sins once in a while, but he is totally enveloped by sin. Sin is destroying him from the him or her. From the inside out. Today is the day of salvation. Call on Jesus and Jesus alone to save you from this wicked and perverted generation. A generation that is so wicked that it leaves open the liquor stores during a pandemic. Yet does all it can to discourage people from coming together and worshiping and praying that God would deliver this nation from the pandemic. For the truly repentant, God is not far away. For those who cast off pride and cry out to the Lord, he's there. For what do the scriptures say? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But I must say, the word believes here is in the perfect tense. Meaning, it's not that you believed years ago. And it's not that you made a profession of faith years ago. And it's not that you were baptized. And now live like the son of Satan that you're justified. No. That's that's unbiblical. This continuous action of of, of believing uh, that you uh, uh, will continuously seek Jesus, that you would continuously believe, that you would continuously follow, that you would continuously surrender your own will. I pray God will, will visit you today and not only visit you, but to take a permanent Residency within you and take possession of you that you may become one of today's wise men who seeks Jesus with a passion for the rest of your lives. Let us pray. Father, your son said, No man can come to him unless you draw him. I pray you would do a mighty drawing, Lord. I pray that especially at this time, as many are clinging on to life, before they go, Lord, please do a miraculous work if you choose not to save them, if you choose to, to let them uh, 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 meet their destiny. As you rerouted the wise men on their way home, I pray you would reroute the hearts and minds of those who denied you all their lives and give them a new destination. May they cry out to you for eternal salvation so they may spend forever in your presence where there is great joy. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.